Good morning. We are so glad that you're here today. Thank you for being a part of our service this morning. And uh, we are excited about next weekend. I hope you will uh, be here, be a part of all that's happening next Saturday and Sunday. One service on Saturday night, 5.30, two services on Sunday morning, 9.30 and 11 o'clock. Also next week, if you're looking at your program, we've got Detroit Thanksgiving that's kicking off. And uh, we've got... Um, you know, the cars, you can start bringing food in, you can start donating if you like, and, uh, and, and giving to it. We are, um, our goal is to feed 1,200 families, give 1,200 meals away, three different locations, and uh, right before Thanksgiving. And uh, so it takes a lot of, lot of uh, food, a lot of, um, you know, resources. We've got multiple churches with us, organizations, uh, uh, local businesses that are participating and if you're here and you're a small business owner and you want to be involved, reach out to me and let us know and we'll connect with you how you can help out in, in different ways, um, you know, through your company and through your small business. But we are excited about what's happening there. So check that out. Make sure you get participate, get involved with our annual uh, Thanksgiving outreach that we do every year. We are in our series today, A Church After God's Heart. In fact, today we're kind of finish up this series, and uh, we want to talk about, you know, a heart to go, a heart to share, a heart to tell, you know, all the same ideas. We've been talking about different things, a heart, you know, that God desires a church that loves, a church that wants to grow, a church that serves. We talk about all these different things, and today we want to talk about what it means to go and tell. Um, I remember in 1980. 1988, I was in 7th grade at my little school, and I was the manager uh, for the varsity basketball team. What that meant, meant was that I was the water boy and ball boy, all right? So not a, you know, not, nothing too fancy, but they gave me a title, and they called me the manager, and it, it made me feel really special. And I went to all the games, and all the varsity games, I helped the players get their water and get, you know, collect the balls, you know, when the time, when the, when the, you know, right before the warm up was over. And I, I was that guy. And, uh, and, and that year we had a special game at, um, at, uh, at the Pontiac Silverdome. Y'all remember that place? And this is when the Pistons used to play at the Pontiac Silverdome. And in fact, this was the final year that the Pistons were going to play um, before they moved into their new home, which is called the Palace. Y'all remember the Palace? It's not there either. <laughs> so uh, that's how old I am. I'm losing time. Everything's going away. You know, the Silver Dome, the Palace. But anyway, the Pistons uh, were playing at the Silver Dome, and we were, it was one of those situations where uh, our game, we had a game. Uh, on the floor of the Pistons, where they played basketball, you know, earlier in the afternoon, and, and that night we could stick around and watch the Pistons. And then that particular night, uh, which was a, a great game, was the Pistons versus the LA Lakers. And of course, those teams went all the way to the finals. That was the year that the Pistons lost in the finals, and then the following year they took care of business. Remember the Pistons? They had a nickname. They were called the Jabberwocks. 
Yeah, you got to know. You know. Everybody aspired in Detroit to be a bad boy, and everybody else in America, you know, hated the bad boy, but we were like, all right, we're bad to the bones. And, and so, and for me, you know, what was cool is that our team, you know, was on the, you know, on the floor, and as a manager, I was down at the floor level as well. All my friends in seventh grade and eighth grade, they were in the stand, and they weren't allowed to come to the floor I did. I had a, a VIP pass. You know, I wore that lanyard around me, and, and uh, it was very special and, uh, because I had access that nobody else had. And, and so it was halftime. Our team went into the locker room, and I'm, I'm kind of collecting stuff. And then me and another guy who was also helping me, you know, hey, Scott, I want to go play some basketball right there in front of two, 300 people that were already in the stand. I said, are we allowed to do that? I said, I don't know. So, okay, well, let's go. And so we get on the floor, and we're pretending to be Isaiah Thomas, <laughs> Bill Lambeau. And I was pretending to be Dennis Rodman, all right, just when he was normal, okay? And uh, <laughs> so uh, we were pretending to be all these things, all right? And, and, and so, and uh, we're just out there, we're we're, we're, I'm Joe Dumas, and we're just popping in, and, and uh, we're, we're making a whole lot of shots. You know, it's very intimidated, right? It's very intimidated. There are people in the stand, they're kind of cheering for us and a little bit. And then finally, one of those guys in a red coat came marching out to the court and said, boys, you know, get off, get off. And, oh, okay, we got kind of in trouble, and, and, and that was that. But, man, that was a fun moment, and, and, and how awesome it was to be on the floor. Oftentimes, when we're watching these basketball games, we're in the sidelines cheering them on. I'm going to invite you today not to be cheerleaders. I invite you today to not to be a, 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 an attender, you know, a, a part of the crowd that's watching the game, but to be in the game, to be in on the mission of God, to be on what God is doing. And I'm hoping that we will stop becoming cheerleaders and put down our pom-poms and to jump in and start becoming contributors to the greatest movement of the mission of God right here, right where we're at, in Shelby Township, in Macomb County, in Oakland County, in the area around there, and start to make a real difference for God. And see, it doesn't start with the crowd. The mission of God doesn't start with the masses. It starts with a friend. It starts with one person. And I want us to see today in the story of four men who got out of the stand and put themselves in the game. And they cared so much for a friend. They knew that his friend, that their friend needed Jesus. And this story is one of my favorite stories in the gospel, Luke chapter 5. I want you to follow along in verse number 17. One day, Jesus was teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, and they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to, to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. 
but they could not find a way to do this. And so, because of the crowd. When they could not find a way to do this, because of the, 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 the large crowd, they, the Bible said they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, into the middle of the room, were right in front of Jesus. Bible said that when Jesus saw their faith, he saw the faith of those four guys, he, he said to the paralyzed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this man? Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? I mean, who can forgive sins God alone. Now, this is, by the way, this is the question that just constantly gets brought up over and over and over again in the New Testament. And that question is, who is this man? I mean, who is Jesus? And in fact, I would say that it's the most important question that every human being on the planet needs to wrestle with. And we need to figure out who is Jesus. And you need to figure out who he is. And the Bible says in verse 22, that Jesus he knew what they were thinking. The Pharisees and religious people, he knew what they were thinking. And I, and I, by the way, I love how Jesus, he knows the thoughts of people. He knows what they're thinking. He does kind of like the Jedi mind trick. He said, I know, I know exactly what you're thinking. And, and, and he said, I'm going to just go right ahead and tell you. He said, right here in verse 22, he asked them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? I know what you're thinking. Why are you thinking it? And then he, began, he asked them a question. He said, what's easier? To say that your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? They couldn't answer. They didn't have no answer for Jesus. They didn't know how to answer the question. They said, but then Jesus said, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he looked at the paralyzed man and he said, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on and went home, praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. And they've said, we have seen remarkable things today. I'll give us four thoughts here in our story that I want you, that I want you to understand. Number one, these four friends had a mission. They had a mission, and their mission was pretty simple. Their mission was to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about the word today. I want you to think about the word mission. What is a mission? You see, that word helps defines us. That word helps us you know, with the direction in life. It gives us purpose. It gives us Direction in our family. It gives direction in our, in our life. It gives us direction in our businesses. 
In fact, I want you to think about the company that you work for. Your company has a mission. And if you as an employee ever wander away from the mission, you start stepping outside of the, the mission or lane of your company, there's a good chance that your boss, you know, or your supervisor will bring you in and try to get you back on track, to get you back onto the point of the mission of the company. You see, Jesus himself, he had a mission. In fact, we see this in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, where he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that was Jesus' mission. He was most obsessed with those who were far, far from God. And in our story, the defining mission for the men that brought the paralyzed man, their vision, the thing that they were hoping for, is that they had this friend that they wanted to walk. They wanted to see this man walk again. And it drove them. It moved them with their mission. Their mission set them on fire. Let me ask you a question today. What drives you? What pushes you? What, what moves you forward in life? What, what gets you up in the morning? What fires you up? And for some of you, you might say, you know, it's a good job. Maybe it's to have an early retirement. Maybe to leave a good inheritance to your children. There might be a, a, a number of things to answer that question. And, and a lot of those things are good things. And I believe those are the things that God wants you to have. But let me, let me ask you this. Let me get a little bit more specific with my, specific with my question. What things, spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, drive you? What is driving you spiritually? What kingdom dreams do you have? What things in your life are you thinking about? What are the things in your life that are welling up inside of you for eternity's sake? What are the things that are driving you and pushing you forward? One of my favorite authors, his name is Jim Simbala. He's a pastor in Brooklyn, New York. He actually pastors a church called Brooklyn Tabernacle. And, and, and he shared a story about his life and, and before he decided to go into the ministry. He played college basketball. He played college basketball for two universities. He played for the Rhode Island or the University of Rhode Island, and then he played for the, the Naval Academy. I mean, he was very driven to play basketball. And when you think about athletes, they are driven. You know, to make it at that level, a college athlete, you have to, you have, to have a drive. You know, you're always pushing yourself. And so Jim Schimbler, when he got to college, he started playing basketball. He sent God speaking to his heart and a call, a higher calling than basketball, a calling to, 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 to ministry. And he wrote a little bit later, he wrote in one of his books, he wrote this, he wrote this statement, and this statement's huge. It has a huge impact in my life. This is what he said. He said, I despaired at the thought that I might let my life slip by without God showing himself mightily on my behalf. I, I despaired. I said, it, 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 it scares me 
that I might just let my life just go through the motions without a mission, without God showing himself mightily on my behalf. What drives you? What is the mission that, that gets you going? As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I, I would say to all of us, if we're looking for a mission for our life, why not take on the mission of Jesus himself? That, that God would use us, that, that the lost people around us might be found, that we would become ambassadors of the gospel, that we could reach people who are far away from God. In fact, we see the mission for us. In Matthew chapter 28, it, we, we call this the Great Commission, where it says, therefore, go and make disciples. We are to reach people. We need to have a heart to go, and we have a mission to go, and you have a missional lane, and God may have a specific calling, a specific drive to reach people. I was talking to someone this morning, you know, he does baseball chaplaincy for Jimmy John. He feels that's what God is calling him to do. So in that mission field, he is reaching ball players that travel from all over the country. And that's his lane. That's what he feels God is calling him. What is, what is the lane in the missional, the great commission, you know, impact that we have, the great commission mandate that we've given to us by the Lord Jesus himself? What is your lane to reach out. What is your personal life call to mission? What is your mission? Here's the second thing. As we talk about mission, the four friends, they had an eager expectation. They had an eager expectation. These guys didn't just have a mission. They had this eager anticipation, this eager expectation. They didn't go... Then you just go like, oh, man, they've got a job to do. Whoopee! That, that wasn't their mindset. They, they actually believed that Jesus could heal their friend. They, they thought maybe, just maybe, if we could get our friend at the feet of Jesus, just maybe Jesus can do what Jesus can do. They just thought that. And they, were, they had this anticipation, this holy anticipation that God was going to show up. You know, we can find ourselves in our Christian life just kind of going through the motions and not have an eager expectation that God is going to show up. And a lot of us will come through your prayer life. Let me ask you this. Are you praying with expectation? For God to show up. Are you praying with a holy anticipation for God to reveal Himself in ways that only He can do it? Every week I come to church here, every Sunday I come here with a holy expectation, a holy anticipation that God's gonna show up, He's gonna show out in powerful ways. I pray with expectations. I pray in advance because, God, I thank you for what you're going to do. I don't know how you're going to show up, but I know you will in different ways. 
What if you could pray? What if you would pray with an expectation that God is going to deliver? What if you pray that way? I mean, Jesus kind of modeled this for us. I mean, we look at the story of, of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, you got the disciples. You know, Jesus has been teaching uh, this large mass of people, 5,000 plus people. And, and the disciples are like, Jesus, you've been nonstop. All right, the service, the service started at, at, at 11 o'clock, and they're not done at noon. You know, it's now 4.30, 5 o'clock, you know, and, and, and the disciples are like, man, you have been, you've had this long worship service, and you've been teaching and teaching and teaching, you know, and these people are getting hungry. And there's no 7-Eleven no, nearby. There's no Walmart. And so Jesus, we've got to let them go home, you know, because they're going to starve. And Jesus said, well, all right, well, let's get some food. And the disciples said, well, get some food. You know, and I think Andrew said, hey, I, I, there's a boy that had a lunch. The only kid in the crowd that thought he should bring a lunch. He came prepared. And he said, I got a boy with lunch with five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus said, that's good enough. I'm sure the disciples are like, good enough. It's just five loaves and two fishes. And the Bible said in John chapter 6, verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves. Notice what he did. He took the loaves and he gave thanks. And then he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. It was a buffet. And he did the same with the fish. Here's what I want you to notice. Jesus gave thanks for the food that he didn't have yet. Y'all catch that? I'm, I'm sure the disciples were just confused while Jesus was praying, Lord, bless this food for everyone. I'm sure the disciples said, bless this food for everyone. Jesus, they're throwing five pieces of bread and two fish for you talking about but Jesus performed a miracle right there. Pray with expectations. Pray, God, thank you in advance for what you're going to do. When's the last time you prayed like that? When's the last time you prayed, you step out on faith, you, you took a risk? with your prayers. When's the last time you prayed, man, after this, when's the last time you prayed for your lost friend? I said, God, I used to pray for my lost friend, but nothing was happening. I kind of gave up. Or maybe you say, you know, God, he's so pagan or she's so pagan, I don't even know if that prayer will work. You've got no expectation. You have not put your faith in your prayers. When's the last time you prayed for a lost person? Whenever you pray for a lost friend, neighbor, family member, co-worker, when's the last time? In fact, let me, this is a convicting question. If God was to answer all your prayers last week, let's just say you prayed last week and God answered all your prayers, how many lost people out of that prayer would have been saved? So well, I didn't pray for any lost people last week. If we sincerely want to see lost people to be found in Christ, we have got to pray with an eager anticipation, an eager expectation. 
And the guys in a passage of scripture here, that in our story, they, they had an eager expectation that their friend, they just had a hunch, just maybe Jesus would do something. I mean, they actually got up and, and, and they went to the friend's house and said, we're, we're picking up your bed, we're taking you somewhere. We're dragging you to the other side of the village so that you can be in front of Jesus. Because we just believe that God can show up. They just believe that maybe Jesus can do it. Now, I'm a, I want to do something here. I'm going to put myself out here a little bit and a rest. That's what prayer is. It's just putting our, putting our faith, putting it out there. And sometimes these kind of things I like to hide to myself because I, I, I don't want to put God on the spot or I don't want him to look bad. But sometimes, you know what? We do God a disservice when we don't put it out there. And so I got your index card right here. Y'all, y'all get your index card out. All right, some, some of you have just uh, been kind of staring at me. I want, you to, I want you to stop looking at me so much and look at this index card, okay? Grab this real quick. You don't have one, look for one next to you or behind you. Here's what I want you to do first. I want you to put right in the middle of the card, in big numbers, the number 100. Go ahead. Put 100 right there in the middle of that card. Circle it. I'm going to put a big nice circle on there. And say, Scott, what does 100 mean? 100 means this for me. For the last month, I have been praying that next weekend when we have Timberly here, that we will see 100 decisions for Jesus Christ. 100. I'm praying for 100. And somebody's like, oh, that's a lot of people, Scott. I know. And it's beyond me, it's beyond what I can do. I could almost guarantee 10. I just added a zero and said, you know what, 100, God. Now that's faith. And that's what I'm praying for. You know, next Sunday when you come here, I pray that you have this holy anticipation that, hey, you know what, I'm showing up to be a part of what God is doing right here. And that you've been praying for it all week long. All week long. Here's the other thing I want you to do here. I've got about four names right here on my card that I'm praying for specifically. And I want you to put your names, the people that you've been praying for specifically, the people you work for, maybe people you, in your family, friend. I want you to write those names down. Put it down. And say, so I'm going to start praying for these guys, these ladies, the teenager, the child. I'm going to start praying that their heart will be open. Number two, I'm going to pray for the boldness and courage for the opportunity to invite them to church. And number three, I'm going to pray that God change their life. 
I'm going to pray for them now. I'm going to pray for me. And I'm going to pray for God to do what only God can do. Write them down. You might have 10 names. I don't care. Put them down. You know, something happens when you start praying and ask God, God, give me an opportunity. God, show me an opportunity today to invite someone about Jesus or invite someone to church. You know what happens when you pray that prayer? I find that God loves to answer that prayer. He looked for ways. He opened doors for you to step in. You start listening to the Holy Spirit and say, here's your moment. You prayed for this. I'm giving you the opportunity. Start praying. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. When you start praying, God, show me, give me an opportunity. You, bet, you, can, you can take it to the bank. He's going to answer that prayer. Open your ears. Open your eyes. You got to start praying. See what we're going to we're, we're going to pray this way. We're going to pray like it all depends on God. But we're going to work like it all depends on us. We've got to do our part. We've got to do our part. These four guys, they, they believed that God was going to do what God could do, but they had to do their part. They had to do the heavy lifting. They had to carry a man over there. What leads me to our third thought here in the story, very important, because I promise you, you're going to face this. These four friends encountered an obstacle. They hit a dead, a dead end, a roadblock. They tried to bring their friends to Jesus, and when they got to the house, what happened? They couldn't get in because the house was crowded. It, the house was overflowing people. Now, if you're anything like me, you know, you would, you would see this and say, well, you know what, the, we can't get in. We might as well, let's just go home. We pack up as we go home, we quit. We give up. We, we might even say, oh, Lord, it's a closed door. You didn't open this door for me. We didn't open it. And, and we start speaking Christianese, right? We're like, I, know, I guess God doesn't want it to happen because it's a closed door. Door. Maybe we just need to forget about it. God didn't open the door. This is so important. A closed door is just Christianese for the path of least resistance. You know, living a Christian life isn't going to be easy. And Satan will always offer you an out. They'll always offer you closed doors. I want you to think about this. Think about the Apostle Paul. Imagine if Apostle Paul, if the Apostle Paul only walked through open doors. And, and if we start closed doors, he'd walk away. Imagine if he did that. Half of the New Testament wouldn't be written. Flog, closed door in my opinion. You know, I don't know. Closed doors, I'm going to walk away. Being flogged, being beaten, being shipwrecked, being left for dead. But Paul, he kept pushing through. In fact, he knew he had to go to Rome. And everybody, everybody, I mean, read it. Everybody said, Paul, you don't want to go to Rome. Don't go to Rome. We beg. They actually begged Paul not to go to Rome. And Paul said, hey, 
God wants me to go to Rome. And they're probably listening to the closed door theology. He was like, okay, guys, I listened to you. I'm not going to Rome. And Paul wouldn't have got to Rome and wouldn't have gotten and finished his journey. And then we would have missed out. Here's what I want you to take a note, on. if you're taking notes. Sometimes, where there's a closed door, you need to push through and dig a hole in the roof. And I'm going to promise you, as you go out this week and start praying and start looking for people to reach and invite to church next weekend, I promise you there will be closed doors, there will be obstacles. The house will be crowded. You say, man, I can't get them to Jesus. And I'm going to challenge you. Don't let your fear, don't let your, what people might think about you, don't let that hold you back. You get on top of that roof and you start digging. You start digging because that person needs Jesus more than you realize. And you have the opportunity to do that. So don't be afraid of the consequences. Don't be afraid of the ridicule. Don't be afraid of the closed doors. Sometimes we just got to kick that door wide open and get a friend to Jesus. Here's the fourth thought. These four friends got more than they bargained for. They got more than they bargained for. Oh, I love this. And this is what I'm praying for next weekend. Luke chapter 5, verse 25. Jesus tells the man to get up. And immediately the man stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe. And they said that we have seen remarkable things today. They were filled with awe and wonder. Because we saw God do what only God to do in this place. See, if we show up next Sunday and we see, we see some people get saved, and we, we see people get saved every holiday and special services, we do. And we're like, yeah, we, we've done that. But it's something else when we do something we haven't done, we know that's beyond us. And we start saying, wow, God. And we look at the day, we look at the week, and we say, only God. Only God. And nobody can take the credit but God. These guys saw remarkable things. They were like, but God, only God could do what he did. The beautiful thing about this passage is this, and I love the order that takes place and the true of Jesus in all of his ministry. These guys thought their friends needed to walk. They thought the external was more important than the internal. But Jesus looked at the man's internal part of his life, and what did he do? He said, son, your sin, your sins are forgiven. And then he said, pick up your mat and walk. You see, the greatest need today for you and for me, and the greatest need that your lost friend needs, it's not and the external tweaking. We don't need to be tweaked. If you come to church looking for a tweaking, then you miss it. I'm tired of the tweaking, the external tweaks in my life. You see, you and I, we don't need an external tweaks. 
We need a heart change. In fact, if you take a note, God is not, God is after a, God is not after a tweaked life. It's after a changed heart. It's after a changed heart. I pray that we don't settle for the mundane when Jesus offers the miraculous. Let's not just show up and see the status quo of church on Sunday morning. Let's see God do something. Not a tweak, but a heart change. A heart change. And that's what Jesus is all about. And at some point, you and I at some point in our life, you and I were like that paralyzed man. You were like that paralyzed man. We were the one. In fact, you might be here today. You might be that paralyzed man. You're here. And you've just now realized, sitting here today, as a paralyzed man on a mat, you've just realized, wow. My friend has been inviting me to church, and I've been coming, I've been coming because he never stopped bugging me, and I'm here. And I'm here today because of my friend, because he or she thinks I need Jesus. And if that's you, you're, you're exactly right. Your friend cares about you, has brought you here so that you can know the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. He wants you here so that you can come and taste and see that the, that, that the Lord, that he, that he is good. And he wants that so much for you. He said at some point, we were all paralyzed on the mat. And there was someone in your life, you could trace that thing to that person. Think about it. Think about that person that brought you to Jesus. They had a mission. They were going to do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus. And they had this anticipation, this eager expectation that they were going to not stop until you, knew, until you met Jesus, until you had a heart change. And I'm sure with some of you, you gave them some opposition. You gave them some pushback. And you know what they did? They dug a roof in your life. They did not quit. They did not give up. And finally, you say, okay, I see the light. I see the truth, and the truth wants to set me free. And you gave your life to Jesus, all because a friend would not give up on you. Who's your friend? Who's the friend this week that you need to reach? Family member? Co-worker? Neighbor? Who is it? Who is it this week that you got to go and you got to dig a roof, and you got to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, to bring them here to Jesus. You start praying. You start praying to God, I depend on you. I need you to do what I can't do on my own. And then get to work. Get to work. Pick up a shovel if you have to. Invite someone to come sit with you. Saturday night, or Sunday morning. So, my friend, 
want to, I got one friend that wants to come out Sunday morning at 9.30. I've got a friend that wants to come out Saturday night at 5 o'clock. God, should I go to both? Yes! You should, if you can. Don't be afraid. If that's what it takes, to do whatever it takes to reach one more for Jesus. Here's what we're going to do in just a minute. We've got some room up here. Notice, you know, there's some room up here in the front. What's going on? We're going to have what we call good old-fashioned prayer time. But we're going to pray. We're going to invite you to, to pray for the people on your card. To pray for boldness. Boldness from within. The courage from within. And for God to soften the heart of those that come and I pray for the hundred. That's what I'm praying for. He says, God, you're crazy. I know. But want to be crazy like me. Crazy faith. The trust to do and see what only God can do. I'm going to pray. Tom's going to start singing. When he starts singing, the song's only three minutes. You know, if you can't make it up here, you want to sit where you're at, you can pray. You can take your cards. Some, some people already did it with their cards. They just laid it down here. You can if you want. If you, if you want to take it home and put it somewhere in your car or in your, in your house where you see it all week long. Whatever you want to do. You know, but when you pray, when you join me in praying for the hundred and for the people in your life and praying for you, they have the courage and their boldness. God, we ask you to help us today. Help us in the next few minutes. As we give you these things that we're praying for. We give us our card. We lay it down. And God, we trust that you'll do what only you can do. In the name of Jesus. Amen. That's all.